I notice that I'm feeling a little tender tonight, also feeling a little tired. It's been quite a week <laughs> and quite a day, too. And I think I'm feeling a little tender from um, the compassion meditation this afternoon and um, talking about Eugene and, um, you know, really letting that in, really doing the compassion for Eugene and, and, and touching that very directly. And also with the four women leaving, really feel the kind of shift in the energy um, today. So it's, um, you know, just a little bit, the, the change I think was a little bit uh, quicker than j usual because when the group's more cohesive, there's a different kind of closure that starts to happen. So I feel there was a, kind of a little bit of a jarring energy with the loss of those uh, four women who left today. So I was just um, seeing the moon hanging in the, in the night sky, you know, so beautiful. And it reminded me of um, one time when I was practicing with Sokni Rinpoche, who's one of my Tibetan teachers, this wonderful young man, probably only in his 30s or something, you know. And um, one time he talked about how uh, sometimes we need to go up on a hill, he would say, go up on a hill at sunset, you know. He said, take a, take a glass of wine with you and sit and watch the sun pass away at kind of that, just that dropping away into the, into the night. And as the night starts to come and feel what happens, sort of feel that in some ways it's that loss, the loss of that day, the loss of the sun, the loss of the light, and, and to really feel that passing, you know, the impact of the twilight. And I was feeling that as I looked at the moon and the sun dropping and the moon coming forth. And it just, it seems like it's all there to help us or help me come more deeply into my heart. When we are really present with the way that we are touched or the way we're impacted by different things that happen in the day, you know, it's it's not that, you know, we have to change our mood. You know, I'm not supposed to be feeling tender and tired and vulnerable. You know, that's like, you know, get it together, right? That's the usual kind of approach. But yet, when we actually allow ourselves to feel that, it takes us right into the heart. It takes us right into our human condition. And we can actually draw on that for our awakening so that we are softening and letting go of that grip, letting go of the resistance and the way that we you know, want to control our lives and the c control things. And just like, as with the compassion practice today, it was like, this is the way it is, you know? And how compassion is grounded in the equanimity that says, Things are as they are in this human realm, in this human condition. And so we let, we, let, we let it in, you know. We just keep letting it in. For the last year or so, I've, I've been calling the retreats that I've been teaching, not, not this one, but other ones that I've been teaching, I think maybe even in May, I'm not sure, but calling it Living an Awakened Life living an awakened life. Because what else are we doing all this for unless we're actually living our life with the expression of our wisdom and our compassion and our understanding about what it means to live wholly and authentically and truly, honestly, you know? So 
I know in the beginning when I when I started my practice, I really did think it was about the experiences that I was having, you know, and I wanted to have certain kind of experiences. And those experiences were, you know, the, the transcendent experiences and, you know, the very powerful experiences of the open heart and love and connection and all of that. But it was really more so that I would feel good, you know, that I'd have this good feeling and then, you know, kind of keep that good feeling. But I think what's really being pointed to in these teachings is not that kind of good feeling. It's a different kind of good feeling. Like somebody said today in the group, you know, that I really, really want to be happy. And I said, well, that's good as long as that happiness doesn't depend on any particular mind state. As long as you're not looking for your states to be happy. Because that's not what the Buddha was pointing to. I think in some ways what was being what is being pointed to is more equanimity. It's kind of a it's kind of a uh, a deep peace or that kind of stillness of the mind when it's not in reaction, when it's not that grasping and wanting and holding on to particular ideas and conditions and states and all of that. But the but the equanimity that's deeper than that that can just allow all of it to be here, the arising and the passing of all conditions, all conditions. And that means all different conditions of our mind and all different conditions of our body as well as other people's minds and other people's bodies. That we're holding that with that open open hand, the open hand allowing these conditions to come and go. That's closer to the happiness the happiness of the Buddha. When we think of happy, there's a particular particular kind of state that we imagine that we be in. But that is just a passing condition. It's a passing mind state. That is not what the, the, the Buddha is pointing to. He's saying that is just a changing condition. Let it come and let it go. So the more we open, the more we open to all these different aspects of ourself and our mind and our heart, we start to drop into something that is more true, more real, more authentic. And there's a different kind, there's a different quality of being there, being with ourselves, being with others, being in the world. I think there's a bit softer, a little bit softer the way we feel in ourselves. So I want to talk tonight a bit about this living an awakened life and um because that's we're going tomorrow. You know, we're going tomorrow back into our lives and you know, we we often often really want to contemplate deeply, well how do we take these teachings? How do we take these practices and apply them and integrate them into our lives? And I want to just talk about it a little bit tonight, and, and we'll talk. I'll talk a bit more tomorrow morning about some of the practicalities of this of of our of our life and bringing this practice in. But this living an awakened life, you know, living an awakened life really means living with wisdom. And as I started speaking the other night about this wisdom you know, the application of this and how it actually begins to show up, how we recognize wisdom, how we make choices from this place of wisdom, how we act from this place of wisdom. And that that truly is the goal. That truly is the goal. And when we speak about living an awakened life, it is about this this uh, understanding and connection with wisdom and how that gets expressed in our in our life in our world. Wisdom in Sanskrit is called prajna, prajna, and the way that is translated, broken down, is the pra means is translated as premium or greater or higher. 
and the the nya j n a means con- consciousness or understanding and so it means higher consciousness or the the superior supreme consciousness or understanding you know the the greater consciousness and so there's actually again even in that in sanskrit word you know is something is being pointed to that there is the possibility for our for our consciousness to expand and become more superior more supreme than our ordinary consciousness or ordinary mind that we live with in you know day to day to day and that's very much what we've ex- been exploring is this this consciousness that is not bound by this conventional way of thinking and being and acting even that there that we can go beyond that we are more than that you know, we're better than that <laughs> you know as human as a human species you know that we don't have to be bound and limited in this ordinary way of being and as 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 one of my teachers saying you if you can i mean if you'd like to have an ordinary life you know you can have an ordinary life and that's fine a lot of people are very happy very content with their ordinary life you know but it's possible to have an extraordinary life you know have an extraordinary life and when somebody who I admire and who I respect and who seems to be quite evolved and awake when they say that I listen because <laughs> if it's possible to have an extraordinary life I want to find out if that's really possible for me I want to know if I can live that kind of life I don't want to just you know as I was saying the other night just sort of go along to the you know the repetition <laughs> of activities that really can seem so mundane the mundane activities of our life and yet my sense is that we still participate in those same activities however we're experiencing something absolutely different the mind the quality of our mind the quality of our heart is much more engaged and engaged in a completely different way in those ordinary activities and this is in a way the the life of a householder you know we don't have to necessarily you know uh leave our life put on the robes and go into the forest go into the caves and like leave the world behind I don't think that we necessarily have to do that and I think that this bringing Buddhist um uh, uh practices and teachings to the west have really started bringing a kind of a a wider consideration to the application of 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 these teachings and this understanding that we can really take these practices into our ordinary lives are our lives as householders as lay people and really practice and really practice well in our lives in our relationships in our work in our jobs in uh, everything that we're engaged in and transform ourselves in the world from there from within our lives rather than having to leave and go somewhere else and the truth is this is a conversation that we've been having amongst our um meditation centers now for about i would say about 15 years or so where where i think when i first started practicing there was a way that those were split we'd go to retreat we'd have all you know this all these teachings and practices and experiences and then we go back to our life but we really didn't talk about how to bring that to our lives and it and it was m- many years for me that I just couldn't figure out how to make that integration it seemed like two different worlds my world on retreat and my world at home just I just didn't cuz cuz that that conversation wasn't happening at the at the centers and with the teachers and it, there really wasn't much integration um uh even at the retreats i remember i think i've told the story but there was 
one one three month retreat where we were sitting for you know intensively <laughs> concentration and mindfulness for three months, you know very very deep, and and then we had five days of partying. <laughs> we just turned the center into this this party. You know, and there were activities every day, and there were movies, and there were performances, and there was costume parties, and it was like, okay, let's celebrate. And people are just kind of walking around bouncing off walls, you know, <laughs> and, you know, trying to, trying to figure out what to do, you know. And I think I think in time the teach the teachers started you know when when they started getting phone calls like a couple weeks later and that their yogis were wandering around in their pajamas you know down down the streets they started thinking maybe we need to be a little more careful you know about how how people are actually coming out of retreat you know? and and so there's been quite a lot of of now consideration about what about this this transition you know when being in retreat and being out of retreat and how do we how how do we make that less of a separation less of a split so that being on retreat we feel like we're in our life and when we're off of retreat we feel like we're in retreat you know we feel more of that that sense of flow, that ease, and that that we're making choices, and we're really reflecting, and we're we're uh, giving real consideration to how can we make our life, our 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 life, just the way it is with our work and our relationships and our caretaking and money issues and sex issues and conflict issues and professional issues and all of that and bring it into our practice. And I think that, you know, that's in, in a way really what we've been exploring here when we talk about just stay present with your experience no matter what it is in any way that it is and come into a wise relationship with that keep coming into a wise relationship with that because wherever you are whatever you're doing it's always the same practice <laughs> whether you're shopping or with your children or grandchildren whether you're out with your friends or working or having fights or, you know, making love or whatever it is, how do we bring that into our practice? Because, because it doesn't have to be separate. There doesn't have to be when, when we really deeply understand what these teachings are about, which is really looking at the ways that we're grasping, looking at how we're grasping on to wanting things to be other than they are, which is what we've been looking at all week long. So when we practice wisdom practices, this means that we are turning our mind, we're turning our mind towards this higher consciousness, or we're turning the mind towards the higher good in service of the awakening. And so at any moment that we are paying attention, and this is what we explored with, the, with the turning the, the, the suffering into happiness. Yeah, suffer it, dukkha now, sukha later. And what was the insight, what was the wisdom that occurred that actually transformed that moment so we weren't just caught in the, in the painful habit. This, this turning the mind, turning the mind towards the, the, the higher good, the higher truth, the higher consciousness. And this is what we're, it's a transmutation, really. In a way, it, it's uh, in the, some uh, uh, traditions, they call it tantra. You know, it's the tantric, tantric practices when you're actually involved in that transmutation of energy turning one kind of energy into another kind of energy. So in this case, the more kind of bound up, kind of painful energy and transmuting that into an open, kind of awake, vital energy. This is um, this 
this French uh, psychoanalyst, Herbert Benoit, he says, um, he compares trans, this transmutation of emotional energy to the metamorphosis of coal into diamonds. And it's a really beautiful um, analogy. He says, the aim is not the destruction of the ego, but its transformation. And this is what, again, we were speaking about. We're not trying to get rid of the ego. We're not trying to annihilate it. We're trying to transmute the energy so that that ego, that sense of, in this case, who we take ourselves to be, is, is expressing the higher consciousness, you know, the higher good. It's in, it, that, our, that our speech and our actions and our thoughts and our impulses move towards that higher good so that so that, that that's the way that we begin to transform and transmute not only our energy but everything around us, right? Because if we're around people like that, it's actually really uplifting. You know, we feel better when we're around people like that. So so we begin to change not only ourselves but our our situa- our relationships and our situations and the world the world, one by one, one person by one person, one consciousness by one consciousness, and then the world just starts to shift in that way. This is the, this is the dream, you know. This is the vision. What's possible for us as human species? So, um, Herbert Benoit says the aim is not the destruction of the ego, but its transformation. When there is conscious acceptance of who we are. It is like the coal becoming denser. So the acceptance is like that, that higher energy, that, that higher consciousness. It's kind of denser with that goodness. And so the coal becomes denser and so blacker and more opaque and then being instantly transformed into a diamond that is perfectly transparent. I mean, because that is how the diamond takes, just gets denser and denser and denser, and then it becomes transparent and uh, uh, lucidly beautiful and bright and radiant from that piece of coal. And so in a way, it's a similar thing where we're just, we're collecting this energy, this essential goodness, we might say, this essential goodness of our own being, this Buddha nature or whatever we want to call that, and kind of condensing it into this form and more and more becoming this kind of translucent and light and radiant being. And you know, at times we certainly have experiences of ourselves like that, where we feel that kind of lightness and openness and the light. We see it in others, too. The light is just pouring out, you know. Wow, you know, what did you do today? You know, know, there's just sometimes it's like that and people are just filled with that. And yet it doesn't last a lot of the times because we haven't stabilized, we haven't integrated that. So it kind of comes and goes and comes and goes. But the more that we practice, there's that it becomes more denser and then, you know, blacker and more opaque. And then we just keep, it keeps getting stronger and more stable until that light, that light is all that there is. So when we are making choices, when these when these impulses or these intentions arise in the mind, we can begin to discern, as we was talking about, we can begin to discern, well, which ones do we want to follow and which ones don't we want to follow? So the, the difficult or painful habits that we see are just repeating and repeating and repeating and causing more difficulty and pain, we don't want to keep following those, feeding those. But the impulses that come, that arise out of our goodness and out of our love and out of our compassion, we want to notice those and follow those. And this is where the practice comes in. 
where we're actually practicing mindfulness so we pay attention to even the impulses that are arising in the mind. So, so this is the ideal. If we can actually catch it there, you know, then we're good because you know, we're catching both the impulses that want to pull us into the more addictive or repetitive patterns or the impulses that are pulling us into, you know, gr- into actions that are going to open us and make us feel that we're expressing ourselves from our love and our kindness and our goodness. We want to catch that. Sometimes we don't catch it till be kind of late down the way. You know, I mean, we may even be involved in a really kind and generous act, but there may not even be the recognition of that. We may not even, we'll just, we, we sometimes just take it for granted. You know, I'm just, you know, calling a friend, checking on them and seeing how they're feeling. And, and um, you know, then we hang up the phone. But there's not really a kind of like, oh, that felt good. You know, that was really a kind and generous thing to do. You know, the acknowledgement of that, the awareness of that. Because the more that we start to actually feel the, the, the joy that comes when we express ourselves in that way and acknowledge it and feel good about it, we reinforce it. We strengthen that. And this is called, you know, the happiness that leads to more happiness. You know, we had the, we had the, the there's the suffering that leads to more suffering. <laughs> There's the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. And there's happiness that leads to suffering. That's the pleasure, you know, when we're engaged in all the pleasurable kinds of things, but it's just leading to more suffering. And then there's the happiness that leads to more happiness. And that's the one that we want to pay attention to. And sometimes there isn't a lot of um, pointing to that in the teachings, yet this is something the Buddha was quite adamant about. It's called um, uh, knowing what qualities to develop. And there's a whole list of the, of the heart qualities. And then developing them by noticing them and then maintaining them, like m- maintenance, like m- doing maintenance with these, these kind and good actions, you know, not just sort of, oh, that was a nice thing to do, and then sort of forgetting about it. It's like, keep doing it. <laughs> keep paying attention to that. You know, follow through with more of those kind of actions because that's what we're reinforcing. And the more we reinforce that, that becomes more of our reality. That's what shapes our reality. It gives, we create we're creating our reality as we do that. So this is the happiness that leads to, to more happiness. This is really the Eightfold Path when we, when we in, the, in the Four Noble Truths, the, the first three truths are about the, the suffering, that there is the suffering, that there's a cause for this suffering, there's an end to this cause of suffering, and then there's a path to follow to bring an end to the cause of suffering. And this path, the Eightfold Path, really is, com- is all, it's called the wise, wise factors. Each one, is a, each one is a wise factor on the path. And they point us towards what we need to pay attention to so that we can raise our consciousness. We can bring our, uplift the heart, uplift the mind to this greater consciousness. One teacher says that as we, as we practice these different qualities, we, um, they, they uplift and sweep us to liberation. Isn't that a lovely image? They uplift us and then sweep us to liberation, to more and more freedom, to the higher consciousness. I mean, for example, when we practice generosity, when our heart is moved to want to do something kind for someone or to give somebody a gift, you know, remembering their birthdays or, you know, celebrating with them, Um, this kind of generous movement of taking care of somebody who needs help, you know, these, these acts where the heart is moved makes me think, you know, there's now emails going around to our Dharma Center of wanting people to do four hour shifts for Eugene 
and that the shift hours are, are listed and they're calling for re resources so so to relieve the family and so people are going to you know sign up it's all going to be done on the web you know which is fantastic now you can do all this scheduling on on the web and then people out of the generosity of their heart will go and sit and really be a presence for for Eugene for 24 hours 24 hours in the day, four-hour shifts. You know, very generous offering, whoever even thought of it. It's like, okay, let's make sure that he has an uh, ally, uh, an, a medical ally there all the time so that if anything is happening, they can go out and tell the nurse or the doctor rather than just the checks the checks that come, you know, every hour. So at any discomfort, any need, that person can go out and tell, tell get somebody for help, you know. Be generous, beautiful, compassionate and generous impulse to, to take care. And then all the generosity that goes into to, to respond to that kind of call. And, and even though there may even be a little bit of dukkha that leads to the sukha, it may be inconvenient, right? It's sometimes inconvenient to help out. It's, um, you know, it's like, oh, it doesn't really fit in my schedule. You know, I've got all this stuff going on, but, you know. So we let go. We let go, and we, we let some things go, and we act on that, act on that impulse. And this is the, the developing and the expanding of these heart qualities that bring us to greater degrees of consciousness. Whatever, there's the, the list the, the lists in the Buddhist um, uh, teachings, have six, six main, they're called paramis, or the development of these perfections, the perfections of, a, of the mind. Um, the main one is, is generosity, and then virtue, which is a, this uh, mor a moral way of being in the world that's not causing any harm or um, uh, pain to people. Uh, patience. Patience is one of them. To cultivate uh, a, a way of to be patient when things are going in a way we're not really happy with, right? I mean, all of us, probably I can speak for all of us, can develop a little patience. I know I can. <laughs> You know, it's a it's a perfection. It's something that we can perfect within within our own mind. Energy, this balance of energy, which really has to do with this self care that we're we're taking care of ourselves. We're monitoring monitoring our own energy needs so that we don't get out of balance and we're drained or we're stressed or we're uh, overactive or we're, we find some we're making wise choices with our energy through the day. I mean, such good reflections for all of us as householders. It's not just for our meditation. These are practices for being in the world, for, for, um, for responding to the calls of the suffering in the world so that we can actually be present. The, the, the archetype for this is the bodhisattva, the bodhisattva, the courageous being who can respond to the calls and the suffering of the world. Beautiful, you know, so we work with, we work with our energy. Another perfection is samadhi or concentration. So the mind, our mind can actually focus. <laughs> the mind isn't scattered and, you know, dispersed and we kind of lose the sense of where we are or what we're doing and we're a little bit flighty and, you know, but a concentrated mind a mind that can actually put it, we can put our attention on something and stay there. You know, respond in that way. It was what we were practicing today with um, listening and uh, listening. So that's a kind of concentration practice where you actually stay present you, you, with the person. It's like your attention is on the person <laughs> rather than thinking about what you had for lunch and how the food wasn't very good or whatever, you know, it's sort of like, and when is this person going to stop talking so I can start talking? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's how do we stay present? How do we stay focused? And then panya, the, the cultivation of wisdom, 
is another perfection. That's the, the, the tra traditional list, but then there are, there's one more list that actually adds um, five more. Well, actually, five, it, it's a 10 list, it, the kind of a couple on this list and a couple on la that. But there's loving kindness, equanimity, uh, renunciation, this capacity to let go, to not hold on so tightly, uh, truthfulness, the capacity to be truthful and honest, and then lastly, determination, which brings this quality of urgency, you know, that there's, we need to attend to this, you know, this is important, not to get too lax, not to be forgetful, but to be somewhat determined about our liberation and our, about our, our awakening. So it's beautiful. So we actually cultivate these qualities of our mind and our heart. This becomes our practice. So we can maybe reflect on which ones are already pretty developed. You know, which ones, some, some of us are naturally more developed in some areas than other areas. Some people are very, very generous by their nature. That's their, that's, that comes easily to want to care for and to give to others. And, you know, sometimes that generosity may be a bit out of balance because maybe we're very generous for others, but we're not so generous for ourselves, you know. So that generosity needs to be a little bit more cultivated. Or the patience, the quality of patience. You know, to what degree does this need to be developed more or cultivated more? Or, or honesty, you know, with our honesty. Does that, is that something that's very strong or, or is it something I need to develop more? Or our virtue or morality. How are, how are your ethics? Are you careful with the way that you do things and take care of things? And uh, are you sensitive to other people's pain or ways that, that things I say or do might, might cause some pain or harm. So all these things, we, you know, it becomes all part of, of what we begin to explore. So we're working with, we're really working with these momentary arising conditions. Again, we're reflecting on the aspiration for what's possible for us as human beings, but we're just doing it here, in this moment, right in this moment, because we're looking at our mind, we're looking at our heart, we're looking at our experience now to see what has to happen right now. How do I need to respond to this situation in this moment, right now? So we're always just working with these conditions right now that, that we can't really do so much about what happened in the past unless there is something that arises in the moment that says, I need to do something about what I did in the past and I'm going to take care of that now. So we're working with that now. Or we're always kind of protecting the future conditions by taking care of now so that we don't get ourselves in situations in the future that then we have to, you know, keep cleaning up the messes that we make. We do that now. We do that now. I, I was re reminded of this um, teaching that, again, Sokni Rinpoche, Rinpoche gave uh, on one retreat, where he, he said that, yes, there are these conditions. There's something, you know, there are things that happen all the time. We're constantly being impacted by the conditions every moment, there's, there's, there's some event that's occurring. Like right now, I'm speaking to you, and there's some way that this is impacting you. There's an event. And he said that, yes, this is a momentary arising condition, but these conditions don't just arise and pass. They're, they reverberate. They reverberate in time so that there, there may be an impact, like from this talk, for example, but it's not going to end when I stop talking. This is going to reverberate over time, just like everything does. Every event, the food that we eat, the conversations that we have, the 
actions that we're engaged in, everything has a reverberation. And in that we have that duration in time to work with the condition. <laughs> it's not like we just have the moment. It's, a, it's, a, it's in the natural law of things that everything reverberates in time and space. And he used the example of the bell. So here's the event. The event, I have a stick and I have a bell. Those are the conditions, right? And the event is that I strike the bell. And as I strike the bell, that's going to have an impact. But it's not, that impact is not going to end just when I hit the bell. So, for example, <laughs> the event happened 10 seconds ago, right? But yet, there's still the reverberation. And that reverberation is still impacting if we're present, if we're here. And that's true for everything. Some events have a much bigger reverberation, like when the Buddha, woke, when the Buddha woke up. It's been 2,600 years. That's still reverberating, right? There can be just a, you know, a momentary event like eating some food and, you know, it doesn't have that much impact on the body and we're not really even noticing it. It's kind of gone, you know. But depending on that event, everything has some kind of reverberation. And so we want to pay attention, keep paying attention to what is the consequence of that event. What, is there any way that I need to respond to that? Is there any way I need to work with that? so that I'm really in contact with the consequences of all of these things, these, my speech, my actions, um, my thoughts, what's, what's reverberating in my mind, you know, and what am I following, and what am I, do I keep striking <laughs> the bell of judgment? You know, what is it that I'm continuing, what is that event that is continuing? So, so we, can, we can work with these in time, all happen. It's it's a it's a it's a soup of conditions. There's a lot going on. It's a lot that we can engage with and respond to. So, in the midst of all those conditions, we want to keep inclining our mind towards this wholesomeness or this goodness. Keep inclining our mind. And the Buddha says that whatever one thinks and ponders upon, that's going to be the inclination of their mind. Whatever one thinks and ponders upon, that's going to be the inclination of our, their mind. That's what we're going to keep reinforcing. That's what's going to keep reverberating. Whatever we keep inclining our mind to is going to be that, what continues in time and space. So this is what we can make a choice about. This is really what, this is the important thing, is that we can make these wise choices. It's not just random. This isn't just a random universe, that something will happen, there's some event, but then we can respond to it wisely and respond from a place of wisdom and kindness and goodness, which is our, which is our practice. So I wanted to just talk a little bit as we come, you know, to the end of this uh, talk, uh, just about this, the, the sukha that leads to more sukha, the happiness that leads to more happiness, and how we can actually keep this going in our lives. Just as when we looked at the dukkha that led to more sukha, the, the suffering that led to more happiness, and there were wonderful things that people talked about and, and expressed. Now I want to talk about the happiness that leads to more happiness. 
So when there's, a, when there's an event or something that arises in the mind that is, makes us happy, you know, that actually makes us feel good, what can we actually do to continue to follow that? Like when that impulse arises, can we bring that out? Can we develop that? Can we cultivate that? Can we increase that? So, for example, if I have a thought, like, you know, like there's a, my godson in England has a birthday next week. And the thought has arisen a few times that I really need to get a birthday card in the mail to make contact. So far, I haven't done that. You know, but the thought pops up. It's like pops up. And so I have to do something. I have to take some kind of action to be sure that that event (laughs) doesn't just stay as a sort of a little thought that reverberates in my mind, but it expands. It develops into something that manifests in real time, you know. So, so otherwise it can just, these impulses, they're, they're rising, right? They rise, but sometimes we're not catching them or, yeah, it was a good idea, but, and I really wanted to do it, but then other things happened and things got in the way and, oh, I feel bad about it and it didn't really happen and well, maybe I'll send it late or, you know, it's like, what can we do to encourage these thoughts and these impulses so that we actually follow through. So that was good to even talk about it because it's like <laughs> <laughs> reinforces that I, you know, really have to do that, you know? Because it can you just see how it can just play there, but it's not manifest yet. So um there are many, many things. It's really where we're, we're, these, these impulses are also called intentions, like intentions. The intentions in the mind have energy to move out into speech or action. So, so it's, it's following through with these good intentions, with these, these wholesome intentions that we have. So, ano- so another example would be that there, a thought arose for you at some point that you wanted to come and sit this retreat. And you, it wasn't just a thought that just played in the mind. You actually followed through. You took some action. And in taking that action, here you are. It's manifest. It's real. And then the event of that, signing up for the retreat, is really reverberating. You know, it's really reverberating. So that's an example of this following something that is going to, it's a happy thought that leads to more happiness. The, the, the increasing and the developing, the, the, the making it real. And then, of course, the, the wide-ranging consequences of that, of that choice to actually come and do that, just far-reaching. I mean, you're planting so many seeds from in, of intention being here. I mean, the, there's just so many things that are going to grow from those seeds that you don't even know yet. You know, there's just the, the wholesome seeds within your own mind. So just from that one thought, you know, I, I want to go to that retreat. You know? So I just want to throw it out again to you tonight and, and see if you can think about any way that you've been here on this retreat where a thought has arisen that was an impulse to do something good or something that felt like a happy thought. (laughs) It could be in any range at all, through speech or action, that then you followed through with that brought more happiness. Let's see. Yeah. I was out walking, and I was... uh really feeling happy and uh, full and I walked past someone's backyard and there were three dogs tied up in the yard and it was really hot and one they were barking at me. One of them had uh, got itself stuck so it was right against the mm-hmm. chair leg and it was like bark, bark, bark and I looked at it and my first thought was just, uh, hmm. 
something has to happen. Usually I would kind of go, oh, God, crappy. Oh, look at this. I just call these mates, but I just like, oh, look at those dogs. Something has to happen. And the guy next door started telling them to be calling them by name and telling them to be quiet. And without even thinking, I just walked over to his house and calmly said, uh, one of the dogs is all stuck. Maybe we could unstick it. So he came out of you know, came out of his yard and came with me and he says, Oh, I know them, they won't bite me, but so he got it all unstuck stuck and and they were so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them was a really big basset hound named Charlie. Like <laughs> how do you not like just completely melt, you know, and then the little yappy one that was stuck was named Nipper. <laughs> and we had a black one, and it was a new one to bite me. Anyway, so then, so the guy, he was this kind of this really nice old guy, and he got them unstuck, and I never looked in his eyes. I have no idea what that man's face looked like, but I looked into the eyes of all the dogs. And so I wasn't even thinking, I just was acting. Yeah, that's and it. then, um, so we got them unstuck, and I said thanks, and I went to leave, and I noticed the dish was empty. And I said, oh, and I picked it up, and without even looking at him, I was thinking, I just said, and some water's in order. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, okay, so we <laughs> went back in, out the alley, back into his yard, and he swallowed him. He got his whole bottle. It was like a big effort, right? Filled, felt the temperature of the water for a minute, so it wasn't too hot, filled the water bucket, and I said, oh, thanks, I'll just take it, because I'm going that way. So I went back out to the yard, went into this yard with Nipper and Charlie, and put the water bucket down, not realizing it didn't reach Nipper on his leash. It only reached Charlie. <laughs> Charlie was so thirsty, and he tried to drink. And then this old guy shows up again. And uh, I think he came to make sure I wasn't like a fruit with <laughs> dogs or something. And I, re I waited. I had to move the water closer to Nipper. And Nipper was mad when I went to do it and tried to nip me. And Charlie protected me. <laughs> and then, uh, and the guy was yelling at the dogs. And I think, okay, I, you know, I'd be mad too if I was tied up out in the heat of the day. And, and I walked away, and I thought, all this happiness and like good and good action and suffering, all mixed in yeah. the same soup, and it re it reverberated for yeah. a long time. Mm -hmm. But I yeah. felt like. I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to just live like that? Like, yeah. just do something and do it? Yeah. And not be, like, angry yeah. or mad at the owners or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Hard right. open to do it. Yeah. Beautiful. And this is what the impulse. That's why it's called the impulse of the mind. It's just because it, it's just like that. No thought, but the impulse, if we can catch that, you know, just follow through like you did. Mm -hmm. No yeah. thinking. So the happiness that lead, led to more happiness. Yeah, thank you. Good. Anything else that you can think of? It's just the impulse that you follow through. The, I mean, there are many, many, many through the day. I mean, I, just the fact that you would have an impulse to come and sit in your meditation spot, that's the happiness. That Well, it might be a little dukkha that leads to happiness, too, but <laughs> <laughs> just happiness that leads to happiness. Anything else? Can't be something very simple, like yeah, simple. letting someone go through a door. Yeah. Just, and you're probably just tiny little thing. Yeah, it. exactly. L the impulse that somebody's, you know, just to stand back while somebody else goes through a door. And then the happiness, just a good feeling, right? Just a good feeling from that. Uh -huh. Anything else? couple guys? Uh, yeah, there's a couple guys out here that they're gone now. But they've been here a couple of times just sort of checking us out, I think. And uh, <coughs> so trying to be, you know, like I, I do feel like talking, but not, you know, to engage them really, but just to be polite, mm -hmm. just to be, you know, I see you're interested, but and, I, and just sort of showing I'm I'm interested mm -hmm. without really having a conversation. Mm -hmm. So <coughs> it's just interesting to try and figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So the impulse is there, and the movement is there. Yeah, and just 
like, I guess, hanging around a little longer than I normally mm -hmm. would, mm -hmm. smiling. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it wasn't really anything, mm -hmm. but I felt it was necessary to have some kind of, I, you know, I see her there. Yeah. And they were saying stuff like, do you believe in God? <laughs> 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 to each other, right? And uh, so I think that they think mm -hmm. it's, uh, this is a spiritual experience mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. They must have heard mm -hmm. in the Right. <laughs> 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 so it's just kind of that impulse, you know. So we're actually even just talking about the impulse. So even if you just had an impulse in something and you're just aware that it's there, it's reverberating a little bit, you know. <coughs> you had one. About breakfast. Breakfast. Yeah. 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 Talk yeah. about that. Yes, right. So you recognize that they were tired, and they, Dorothy and Verna, and you, your impulse to offer to make breakfast. Oh, beautiful, you know. And and of course that'll that'll reverberate out. Those ripples of that. <laughs> she said, hopefully in a good way. <laughs> uh huh. Well, isn't impulsivity usually not very conscious? I mean, that's how I would understand the word. You know, it's it's a uh, not so much mindfulness wrapped up in it. So impulsivity, you're just Im yeah, more of that unconscious speech and action, right? I think that's often how it's used. So we're talking about that there is an impulse, but to be mindful of it. And then to be able to discern whether the impulse is actually a skillful one or an unskillful one, right? So that's the difference. So it's so it's bringing the mindfulness through it, so that we can actually make wise choices. So it takes some time. Well, it may not. It might not take any time. You might like with with Erica. She knew right away. You know, she knew. Sometimes it may take some time. Sometimes it may not take any time at all. But that because because the awareness is so strong there, so. Spontaneous is a good word too. Spontaneous, or like random acts of kindness. Mm-hmm. Yes, random acts of kindness or spontaneous acts. Yeah, of kindness. Uh huh. Yeah. So any time we do any kind of you know loving kindness practice. The impulse arises to do loving kindness for ourselves or for another person, and then we follow through with that. Um, the compassion practices that we did. Um, anytime there's that, like the the impulse to serve, the the impulse to serve somebody and to follow through with that with that kind with that kind action. Um, and then there's the the whole kind of the nurturing of of the you know, like the impulse to go into nature. To, to take time away, to take time alone, and, and to commune with nature. And that, that happiness that leads to more happiness, to deeper happiness, to be in sacred places, to be in um, uh, places that uplift the heart. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I just had this very strong impulse, that, uh, Deva Pramal, this wonderful, wonderful singer and chanter, um, she was in San Francisco just for one night, and I really wanted to be in that environment with somebody who was singing and, and chanting very sacred, sacred songs. And I just, I just, just followed that impulse like a rocket, you know, and went and bought my ticket and got a friend to come with me. And it was driving into San Francisco, about a 45-minute drive. It's not necessarily, you know, just uh, next door. And um, it was spectacular. 
It was spectacular. It was like being, uh, there was healing transmission happening all night long in that room. There were about 2,000 people. And these three people, three musicians on the stage that were sending out trans just healing vibes to all 2,000 people, they had us kind of drinking out of their hands. We were so engaged with them. And it was one of the most powerful experiences that I've had in a, in a healing environment. And so, you know, just that, that follow that through, follow that through when that impulse comes to do something that you think is going to uplift you, that's going to kind of bring, bring the energy higher to this higher consciousness. You know, last night with the, with the chanting and the sounds, the, 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 the sacred sounds and the, the vibrations of that, you know, that, that happiness that I, that I felt through the thought that I wanted to share that with you and the happiness that I felt while I was sharing it, you know. And then this morning, it was so interesting after ha sitting and meditating, because I haven't really meditated with those sounds, but through the meditation this morning through the, at the 845 sitting, um, I don't know if anybody, I was wondering if anybody else was aware of this, but the trucks on the highway sounded just like the sounds of the chant last night. Did, he, did you? Did you? I just heard oming. Yeah, it was like oming. It was just like the trucks, the different kind of trucks that were out there in the room just kind of vibrated. You heard that too, just this kind of the oming and the chant. So the whole kind of the sound, the sacred sounds, just started permeating in the room. You know, that, that, that uplifted consciousness that just leads to more, leads to more. You know, dancing, you know, music. You know, the more that we're engaged in these environments and these activities that uplift so, so we can actively participate in this. We don't, it's not just kind of um, sitting and seeing what happens. <laughs> We're not just, you know, it's a, when we do that in our practice, it's to help just get us out of the way so that we can pay more attention. But when we're actually in our lives and being actively engaged and relating and involved, then we want to act. We want to follow through and act on these things. So we're, so we're not just sitting and waiting, <laughs> you know, for, for goodness to land in our lap or love to land in our lap. But we, we're, 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 we're the creators of this. We're creating and generating our own reality. So this is the happiness that leads to more happiness, the sukha that leads to more sukha. And this we can be actively involved in. When we connect with that energy, that energy of the, of the, of the chanting or the songs or the loving kindness or a meditation practice, when we connect with that, it's as if we're walking through a gateway that is brightening our consciousness. It's like that thing, that music or the dance or the, the, the person that we're with or whatever it is, it's like that, 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 that event becomes the gateway for us, that we want to go into and we want to let it brighten our consciousness. So it's, a, it's a, 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 another way to look at what our practice is about through this wisdom, <coughs> and this wise discernment, wise choices, making wise choices for ourselves in our lives. So it's very broad, so there's many, many things that, that we can reflect on here. And um, just to end, um, just like to read this quote from the Buddha, where he actually says, um, when one practices this Sukha that leads to more sukha. It's it's like this. Um, just as in autumn, in the last month of the rainy season, when the sky is clear and cloudless, the sun rises above the earth, dispelling all darkness from space with its shining and beaming and radiance. So too, the way of undertaking things that is pleasant now and ripens in the future as pleasure, dispels darkness 
with its shining and beaming and radiance more than any other way. More than any other way. The pleasure undertaking things that is pleasant now and ripens in the future as pleasure. So we don't want to miss these moments. It's not grasping. Not grasping. We're infusing our mind with wisdom because the pleasure that leads to more pleasure is the what is going to dispel the darkness like the sun dispels the darkness in the sky. So let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.